Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. I'm going to continue our series that we've been in the past several weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes as we look at this from Solomon's perspective, this meaningless life, this meaningless existence, and what we're trying to do is find purpose in it all. I do encourage you to be back next Sunday, uh, and then also uh, the, the Tuesday night of the week of Christmas. It'll be Christmas Eve. We're going to have a special Christmas Eve candlelight service on that night at 6 o'clock. A lot of special music and reading of the Christmas story, so I encourage you to be here on, in your place if you can. Tuesday night, Christmas Eve, December 24th at 6 p.m. The service will last probably just about an hour have a lot of special music, uh, some Christmas songs, hopefully with the right words up there, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, if you find your place in God's Word, why don't you stand, if you could, as we read a few of these verses this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter number 6. Let's go ahead and start in verse number 1, follow along if you would. The Bible says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man beget an hundred children, I don't know what man would want a hundred children, but anyway, if a man beget a hundred children and live many years, so that many days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity, and departeth in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years twice told, basically two thousand years, yet hath he seen no good, do not all go to one place? All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not filled for what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, we do thank you for the Christmas program that we heard this morning. And Lord, we're thankful that it all culminated around your birth, the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, over 2,000 years ago, you came to be born in a lowly stable, but Lord, I'm thankful that you didn't just come and live a simple life and just be born and die like so many other people have born and died on this earth. But you came, you, born, you were born, you died, and you rose again victoriously. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And because of that, we have hope that we will go to heaven if we trust you as our Savior. And Lord, what better time in this Christmas season to, to, to make sure we're saved. And Lord, I pray that as we walk through this message this morning and it's not necessarily a salvation message, but Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, God, I pray that today might be the day that they trust you. And I pray that you'd help us over the next several weeks as we close out this Christmas season, that you'd help us to, to realize that life is busy, but help us to find our satisfaction and significance, not in all the stuff, but in you. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. 
What we're going to be doing this morning, again, is Solomon has been on a search, a journey, a quest, if you will. He's been searching for meaning, and really, if you want to break it down, he's been searching for significance. He's been searching for satisfaction. Brother Mike, can you, can you turn the air on? I think it's a little bit, a little bit stuffy here, a little bit. Uh, he's been searching for significance and satisfaction in his life. And that's what we're going to discover here in chapter 6 as he, again, continues this journey. He is searching for satisfaction. But I want you to understand as we set the stage right off that this search for satisfaction will only always lead to meaninglessness apart from Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter uh, what you pursue. Again, Solomon was a man that had everything. He had all the wealth in the world, anything that you could possibly desire, and yet it wasn't enough for him. And I've seen many individuals that are searching for satisfaction, searching for significance, but they search for it in all the wrong places. And today I want to walk through this passage and look at a couple things that we see and, and try to make a, a practical illustration for you as well. In this endless search for satisfaction, so often we become discontent. You ever been discontent in your life? I think there's many times in my life where I've been discontent. Now, understand that discontentment isn't always a bad thing. Here's what I mean. Uh, there's been times in my life, as many of you have known, that I've been sick. Uh, discontentment isn't a bad thing when you continue to go to the doctor and they don't tell you what to do to fix it. Discontentment in the fact that I want to get better, I want to find the right avenue to help me get better, that's, that's an okay discontentment. I even think of discontentment in marriage. Uh, suppose you have a couple that has been married, husband and wife, and all of a sudden they're, they're discontented with their marriage and they want it to be better. So they go to God, they go to a pastor, they go try to seek counseling. That discontentment is okay, but a lot of times discontentment is not okay because discontentment leads to envy. And I think many of us understand that envy is not a good thing. Really, when you think of these two sides, discontentment and envy, it's kind of like um, uh, a match and gas. <laughs> both are dangerous, right? But both are deadly when put together. And discontentment with envy is a very deadly combination. And that's kind of what we see here with Solomon as he's searching, this searcher, this uh, trying to find understanding in life. And the age in which we live has more intense opportunity for discontentment and envy than any other age around this world. You think about it. How many times in your discontentment has it driven you to do things that you know you shouldn't do? How many times in your discontentment has it driven you to buy things you shouldn't buy, right? We probably all have boxes from Amazon that are testimony to that fact. <laughs> that because we're discontented, we just start buying, and I know I'm guilty of that, and I'm kind of, you know, jokingly with my wife about that as well, but many of us are like that. When we're discontented, instead of realizing, you know what, um, there's not any more stuff that's going to bring satisfaction, because all it does is bring more heartache when you look at your credit card statement down the road, and you're like, wow, I've got a $6,000 credit card bill now, all because of stupid Amazon or whatever it was. You think about that. More stuff does not bring more significance. More stuff does not bring satisfaction. And that is where Solomon is at. And here's the principle that we're going to try to unlock this morning. There is no contentment when God gives you everything, but doesn't allow you to enjoy anything. I want you to think about that. There is no contentment when God gives you everything, but doesn't allow you to enjoy anything. You think about this. 
Would you rather have everything in life but not be able to enjoy it or have nothing but be able to enjoy the nothing that you have? I, if it was me, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, choice C, everything and in enjoyment and contentment. But Solomon, again, he has everything, but he can't enjoy it. And I've seen many people like that. Their life on the surface looks great. You know what I'm talking about. You look at their life, you look at their family, you look at all the stuff they have. Man, this family has it going on. They've got it. They got it figured out. So obviously their life is great, and I wish my life was that great. But you really study their lives, and they're not that contented because they're always trying to find more. And a lot of times, those that have everything can't even enjoy what they have. And let's go ahead and start digging into the message this morning. And the first thing that Solomon is telling us here in these first few verses of chapter 6 is in this search for satisfaction, often there are riches without enjoyment. There are riches without enjoyment. Think of this great tragedy. You have all the resources to a satisfying life, but you cannot enjoy them. That would be devastating. To have everything, but can't enjoy what you have. Warren Wearsby stated this one time. He said, no one can enjoy the gifts of God apart from the God who gives the gifts. To enjoy the gifts without the giver is idolatry. And this can never satisfy the human heart. Enjoyment without God, listen, is merely entertainment. Enjoyment without God is merely entertainment, and it does not satisfy. But enjoyment with God is enrichment and brings true joy and satisfaction. Look, enjoyment doesn't come from more possessions. It doesn't come from more bling, as we like to say. And I read this quote this morning in one of my books, for all the bling it brings, the riches, the money, all the bling it brings to the eye, money does not bring lasting satisfaction. I guarantee you it doesn't. And many of us in here understand that, but I'm sure there's some that might, if I just had a little bit more, if I just had a raise of, you know, 10000 a year, I'd be fine. Well, we've talked about this. You get a raise of 10000 a year, that's not enough. You need 15000 right? You need 20000 You need 50000 Because all of the money isn't just going to bring satisfaction. It's not going to put your family together. Well, I can buy a new family. Well, that's not what it's all about. Money doesn't bring satisfaction. Again, Solomon had everything, and he's saying, I'm a man with riches, but I can't even enjoy my riches. Again, let me, let, let's look at verse number one of chapter six. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men, a man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor. Everything that, that he has so that he wanteth nothing. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't want for anything. He has everything that he can possibly desire. For his soul of all that he desireth, yet God giveth him not the power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it's an evil disease. He's saying, you know what? What good is it if you have everything that, that you have all these riches and wealth and honor and prestige and power, but you don't even get to enjoy it? And that phrase at the end of verse 2, it's vanity. It's an evil disease. It's talking about a sickness, a, a great distress. It's like a sickness that spread that cannot be stopped. It's a great distress to be gifted with good and honorable things, but find no satisfaction in them. And this inability to enjoy what people have, I want you to listen to this. 
It exposes God's goodness. Stay with me here. Here's how it exposes God's goodness, the inability to enjoy all the stuff that you have. Because we were never made to enjoy this earth. Don't don't take me wrong here. We were made to find enjoyment, satisfaction in our Savior, in Jesus Christ. Not that we can't find enjoyment in this earth, but again, if you're only pursuing things of this earth, you are not going to find satisfaction. You are not going to find contentment. And you think about this. Why would God let someone have everything but doesn't have the ability to enjoy them? Because this disallowing the ability to find satisfaction and contentment and stuff, listen, is God's goodness because nothing but God can satisfy. And God is trying to drive us to him to help us realize that only he can satisfy Only he can bring contentment. No amount of junk, no amount of stuff, no amount of money will bring contentment, only God. And I'm sure some people are already tuning me out. This guy has no clue what he's talking about. Because if I had more, I'd be happy. I guarantee you're not. Look at all the movie stars in Hollywood. You think they're really happy? No. Because Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, the richest man at this time, said, you can have riches, but what good is it if you can't enjoy it? And in verse 3 through 6, Solomon continues. Let me read these quickly. If a man beget an hundred children and live many years so that the days of his years be many, if he has a long life, his soul will not be filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. Now what Solomon is doing here in these verses is really, he's kind of taking a nihilistic view of things. I want to explain what nihilism is. It's kind of a growing philosophy in our day and age. Nihilism is the belief that life has no meaning, no value, no significance, and therefore it's not worth living. It's basically the attitude that says this. We came from nothing. We're going to nothing. We mean nothing. And when people live this way, they live for everything but enjoy nothing. Because an attitude that says, we came from nothing, we're going to nothing, we mean nothing, what's the purpose of living, what's the purpose of this life? Well, there is no purpose of life under the sun lived the way that you want to live. But there is a purpose lived the way that God wants you to live. And Solomon, what he is doing here in verses 3 through 6, is he's giving a hypothetical equation. You know, no person, especially in a monogamous relationship, is going to have 100 kids. I'm sure no woman wants to have 100 kids, right? Yeah, right? You think about this. That's that's not going to happen. He's given a hypothetical equation. Now, his son Rehoboam had um, 88 kids, but he had 16 wives and 60 concubines. So through 76 women, he had 88 kids. It's a lot of kids. But the point Solomon is making, because in the Jewish society, they believe that you got God's blessings by having more kids, more money, more stuff. That's part of God's blessings. So Solomon is saying, you could have a hundred kids. You could live for 2,000 years. But what good is it if you go and you're buried and no one is there because you've driven your family away? Because it's all about the work. It's all about the money. It's all about this. And we've been to funerals like that where the family, instead of actually sorrowing and trying to comfort each other, they're just fighting with one another, right? 
They're fighting for stuff. They're fighting for this. They're fighting for that. It's a horrible thing. And what Solomon is saying in verse 3, look what it says. I say that an untimely birth is better than he. An untimely birth, what he's talking about is a miscarriage. He said, it'd be better for someone to have a miscarriage. And he's not, he's not negating that. He's not saying, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. But it's better for a baby not to be born than to live under this tragedy of life. And really, when you think about this, it's kind of depressing what he's saying. For he cometh with vanity, he departeth in darkness, his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. So the, the one that has a miscarriage, the one that the, the baby was born, stillborn, you know, least he has rest because you don't have to live under this tragedy and trauma of life of trying to find significance and never finding it. It'd be better to, to not be born than to live a life like this. But here's a man, again, in Jewish culture with a long life, lots of kids, great wealth, all God's blessings, but not even that brings satisfaction because his family won't even weep over him because they're only concerned about his money. And Solomon is saying basically this, it's more tragic for someone to be given life and possessions and honor and riches and not enjoy life's good things than the tragedy of miscarriage. You see, for Solomon, he recognizes both as tragic. He's not saying it's more tragic for life to be granted to one person and not enjoy it than a baby. But he's saying there's more rest for the unborn than for that man or woman who has been granted life but can't figure it out. And there's many people in here, probably, that are going through life and can't figure it out. Because you're trying to search for satisfaction in anything and everything but Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, no matter what you put your search in, Apart from God, it will not bring contentment. I guarantee it. It's one of those things you can take to the bank. Because we were not meant to just have all of this stuff apart from God. We were meant to have a relationship with God. And the problem that Solomon has faced is not whether existence is better than non-existence. The problem he's facing is this. Is there any purpose behind it all? Why be given everything if you can't enjoy it? You see, this ability to enjoy life on earth comes from within. It's a matter of a choice and not circumstances. And here's a key principle. It's learning that more is not always better. Let me say that again. It's learning that more is not always better. Because there's no joy often in more. Contentment and enjoyment of life doesn't come from more on this earth. It comes from more of God. And a lot of times we have a hard time figuring this out. And I think the application we can make here in these verses is, okay, Solomon was that man trying to live his life for all the wealth and the riches and this and that. But he got to the end of his life and what purpose was it? What meaning was it? There, there is no meaning. And I think it goes back to chapter 3 where it's talking about enjoy life now because right now is special. It's a gift from God. Enjoy the blessings that God has given to you. And thank God for all of those blessings. Look, it's okay to plan for tomorrow. That's part of being a good steward. But so many people are always planning for tomorrow that they're not enjoying the blessings that God has given them today. And you miss out on so much. Look, I, I'm planning for my tomorrow and my retirement, all those things. And that's not a bad thing, but I'm also trying to enjoy now. 
I'm trying to enjoy my family. I'm trying to be there for my kids as they grow up because I realize my kids aren't going to be kids for long. They're going to grow up. They're going to be teenagers. They're going to be adults. And then I'm going to miss out on those times if I'm always so focused on what I want and my desires. And Solomon was one of those men. He focused on himself. And I've seen many individuals, I've seen many men and women that are only focused about themselves that they neglect their family. So what good is it if you focus on all the stuff that you want and you get to the end of your life and where's your family? They're not going to be around. Why would they want to be around mom and dad? Because they never spent time with them when they were growing up. And people miss the point. What's the purpose of it all? You know, to learn to be content and satisfied with what God has given you is very important. You see, as, as Wearsby stated earlier, and we already made this point, but enjoyment without God is merely entertainment. But enjoyment with God is enrichment that brings true joy and satisfaction. So in the search for satisfaction, the first thing he says is there is riches without enjoyment. He continues on, verse number seven. There is work without satisfaction. Look at verse number seven. All the labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the desire. This also is vanity and vexation of the spirit. You know, whether you're poor or rich, you still have to labor to stay alive. <laughs> you have to work to eat. You have to either produce food or you either have to earn money to buy food. Now, work is important. Don't get me wrong here. But to be constantly driven by more will not bring satisfaction. Getting to the top is great, but what's next? And these verses profile a man who is completely driven by his appetite for more, but his appetite is never satisfied. One of my commentaries I read in Kinder's commentary on Ecclesiastes, he says, life is like a treadmill. <laughs> we work so that we can eat, so that we can have the strength to work so that we can eat. <laughs> Think about that. We work so we can eat, so we can have the strength to work so we can eat. And it's, again, that vicious cycle. So, again, searching for satisfaction in work will not satisfy. And our appetites so often are uncontrolled, just like you go to a restaurant and, and you're hungry and you want more and more and more. But a lot of times you eat more and more and more. It doesn't necessarily satisfy you. It just makes you sick. <laughs> And that's what happens in life. The more, the more, the more, the craving for more, the appetite for more, the appetite for more isn't going to satisfy. It's just going to make you sick. It's going to make you feeling like, man, I, I got to have something more. This appetite wasn't fulfilled, so let me try to fill it with this. Let me try to fill it with that. Let me try to do this. You can try to do anything you can under the sun, but it's not going to bring the satisfaction you need. And the, the appetites are often uncontrolled. Listen, because we need more food. We need more money. We need, we need, we need more technology right? But the problem with more is we never get enough because the human heart wasn't made for more of this world. It was created for more of God. And in verse number eight, basically he's saying wisdom itself cannot even fill a hungry man's stomach. Okay, you're wise. That's great. You're still going to get hungry just like a poor man. For all the superiority of the wise man compared to the fool, they both get hungry. And Solomon is a man who is finally coming to grips with the fact that more is not always better. 
Please listen, church. More is not always better. He failed to realize this early in his life. He failed to realize this important truth that what God has already given me is better than what I think I want. Did you hear that? What God has already given me is better than what I think I want. If God has given you life, that is better than what you think you want. If God has given you a family, that is better than what you think you want. So enjoy those gifts from God. Thank God for that. And here's what we gain from this passage this morning. It's better to be content with what we have than to be constantly craving for more. Benjamin Franklin once said, Content makes a poor man rich. Discontent makes rich man poor. In verse number 9, let's read this verse. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the desire. This also is the vanity and vexation of the spirit. Let's put this in our vernacular this morning. How many have heard that phrase, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush? This is basically exactly what Solomon is saying here. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Here's the translation. It's better to be content with what you have than risk losing everything by seeking more. But I need more. Why don't you be thankful and content with what you have? Have you come to the conclusion that what you have is better than what you think you want? Let me me ask it this way. Do you understand that what God has given you is far better than what you could give yourself? Do you understand that what God can give you is far better than what you can give yourself? But I can give myself a great life. Okay, but will you be satisfied? No. But what God can give you, it might not be all the wealth in this world, but true joy, lasting satisfaction, enjoyment of this life on this earth. You see, what is your appetite driving you towards? Is your appetite driving you more towards Jesus Christ, your relationship with him? Is it driving you to more stuff, more land, more houses, more boats, more cars, more toys, more stuff? Or is it driving you to a closer relationship with God? Let me close out this chapter with really a third mystery of life. He said, in the search for satisfaction, there are riches without enjoyment. There's work without satisfaction. And then finally, there are unanswered questions. Don't you love unanswered questions? <laughs> you know, there are many questions in life that go unanswered. And there are many questions that I have in my life that haven't been answered. I wish I knew the answers to them, but it's a difficult thing for us to, con- or to grasp because we, we feel like we have to know. But explanations don't always solve a problem, do they? They don't always make us better. I'm not saying we don't necessarily need answers to certain things, but again, let, let's try to help us understand. I know it's kind of a poor illustration, but okay, you go, to, you go to the doctor, you're sick, get scans and all that kind of stuff, and they, they come back, they give you the answer, hey, you have cancer. Are you better? No. But you have an answer, right? Sometimes the answers don't always mean that we're going to be better. sometimes we're always trying to search for answers to life, to answers to all these questions in life. But just because we get the answer doesn't mean we're going to be any better. Doesn't mean it's going to bring any satisfaction to our life. Look, Job argued with God for the answers, but God never gave him the answers to his questions. Verse number 10, look at this verse. That which hath been is named already and and known that is in man, neither may, or sir, sir, uh, uh, 
Neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Verse 10 is a fatalistic view of God's sovereignty. It's the idea that God, it's understanding that God is completely in control. And whatever one is, it's because the all-powerful God has already named it. But God made us. He knows what we are like, how we function, what will satisfy us, what will not satisfy us. And he set up this decree that enjoyment cannot be found from possessions. I even think of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, where he basically said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things which he possesses. So go ahead and possess more. Go ahead and have more. I guarantee you that it will not bring satisfaction. And there are some today that are trying to get more, 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 trying to get more. Am I making my point? But look at your life. I'm sure you're not satisfied. Because what's probably happening is your relationship with Jesus is suffering. Because if you had a good relationship with Christ, he would help you realize that more isn't best. More of junk, more of stuff, more of this life is not best. More of him is what's best. In verse number 12, he kind of closes it out. There's a series of questions in here, but verse number 12, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life? What's the purpose of life? All the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow. For who can tell a man what shall be after him after the sun? Here's verse 12. What's the true value of this life? Where's the man who understands what is good and what is bad? None of us do. And the searcher is asking, who knows what is good for men? Who knows what is good for mankind? Let's put it this way. Do you know what's good for yourself? No. You don't. But you know who does? God. If God knows what's good for us, then why do we always put ourselves first? Then why do we always think that if I just did this, if I just had this, it would be best? You see, we don't know what's good for our lives, but God does. And having the right relationship with God will help us. Here's a great illustration of this fact that we don't know what's best for our lives. I heard of a high school kid one time who prayed, Lord, if I could just go out with that beautiful girl, I'd be the happiest guy alive. After getting his wish and dating her for a little while, he then prayed to God again, Lord, if I could just get rid of this girl, I'd be the happiest guy in life. You see, this guy didn't even know what he wanted. And it's a funny illustration, but we're the same way. God, if I could just get this, I'm going to be happy. If I could just have this, I'm going to be happy. Sometimes God allows us to have that. Well, I need this now, Lord. God, I, I need that. <laughs> What's the purpose of it all? What's the true value of this life? Here's yet another chapter that kind of leaves us discouraged. So what do we take from it? What do we apply from it? What is the true value of this life? I got a table up here this morning and another illustration. Don't worry, I'm not going to break any plates. So you're all good. I just got toys, that's all. So imagine, imagine this box, just a simple shoe box. Imagine this box represents your life. 
And these blocks, all of these blocks, represent the finite resources that you have with your life. What I mean finite, there's a limited amount of resources that we have with our life. And here, here's what often happens, and what I'm talking about is our time, our energy, you know, gifts that God has given us. Here's what we try to do. We try to cram everything in our box, right? We try to smash it down. Is the box really closed, though? No. You see, this is what we do with our life. God has given us a finite life, a limited life, and a limited amount of resources. But a lot of times, instead of realizing, you know what, some things, it goes back to the plate illustration, some things just aren't that important. Some things maybe I should say no to, because really, when you look at it, there are more no's than there are yeses. There are more things that need to be left outside the box, right? Now, there is one thing I didn't put in the box, and it's this big block. Now, let's imagine this is your relationship with God. See, here's what happens most often, right? Is it fit? Why not? Because it's placed on the top, right? It's placed after everything else. But what should typically happen? We should first and foremost worry about our relationship with God, right? That's the first and most important thing. And then try to fill our life with everything else and realize that some things I need to say no to. Some things just aren't worth it in this limited amount of life that I live. But here's also what happens. Either we fill our box too full or we don't fill it full enough. And really, if you don't fill your box full enough, you're still not being a good steward of what God has given you. So how can you find the balance? It's asking God to help you. It's asking God to help place the right priorities in this life, to help you put what's in your box, what is necessary to put in your box. Again, first and foremost, your relationship with Jesus. Your relationship with Christ shouldn't be an afterthought, right? It should be the first thing. Well, I'm going to make sure my relationship with God is where it needs to be, but so many people don't do that. Ah, who cares about that? It's not that big of a deal. Sorry, didn't mean to hit you. But we do that, right? I should have thrown it this way. <laughs> we do that. It's not that big of a deal. If I get to it, I'll get to it. You know, a lot of times at Christmas, thank you for that. A lot of times at Christmas, you know, Christmas and Easter, that's when people come to church. And I'm thankful that they come to church. But why don't you come the rest of the year? Because it's not that important to you. Because all that other stuff is more important. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. Look, I'll put myself in Solomon's shoe. Here's what he's saying. I had everything. I had riches and money and, and wealth and women. I had everything that you can possibly want. We've talked about all that he had in the past six lessons thus far. But it was worthless. It was vanity. It was meaningless. And what he's getting to over the next several chapters and what we're trying to make in the application is what's most important is a life spent with God. A life spent with Christ, making sure that Jesus Christ is first and foremost, that he has preeminence in your life, and then filling your life with things 
but starting with him. Once you start with him and then fill your life with the things of this earth, sometimes even a lion. I know I'm just kind of throwing them in there today, but things start to work out. Things start to make sense. But if I don't start with Christ, it's not going to make sense. Again, here's the main application, the main point of this message. Who knows what's truly good for me? Let me help you. It's not you. It's not someone else. It's God. God knows what's good for you. So what blocks need to be left out of your life? What do you need to learn to say no to in order to say yes to the best and most important thing? What's the purpose of your life? You know, Solomon thought his box was infinite. But listen to me, without God, we always overfill and press the box to the limits or we underfill and fail to steward the box to its full potential. I think a great question to ask in closing is this. Are we walking through life with Jesus or are we being walked through life by bad values and crushing things? St. Augustine once said, and I've said this before, our hearts are restless until we find thee, O Lord. Blaise Pascal once said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in our heart, in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any other created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus. So there is a God-shaped vacuum in your life, and it's only filled with God, not stuff. Because stuff won't satisfy. Don't believe me. Ask the wisest, richest guy that ever lived that's writing this book to his son and writing it to us, helping us understand that, hey, listen to me like any parent. Hey, don't make the same foolish, stupid mistakes that I made as a child. No, I got it. I know better than you. I've done that. And I'm sure many of you have done that in here as well. But Solomon has wisdom. Listen. Listen to the searcher. What's going to bring you satisfaction in life? Is it when things finally make sense? Is it when you have the answers to all your questions? Is it when everything you have that you think you need in order to bring happiness and contentment? No. Again, as, as Wearsby stated, enjoyment without God is merely entertainment, but enjoyment with God is enrichment. God wants us to enjoy this life, but it's better to be content with what we have than constantly craving more. And here's the truth I want to leave you with today. Contentment isn't getting what you want, but being satisfied with what you have. And what you have is Jesus. Or what you should have is Jesus. He's that biggest block that needs to be in your life.